uh, if you've got your Bibles, go to Colossians chapter 1. We're looking at this letter that Paul wrote to the Colossian church. And as we said a few weeks ago, it's a church that Paul didn't know. Uh, not personally anyway. He likely never went to Colossae. Um, he would have met some believers from Colossae as they would have traveled over to Ephesus while he was there. In fact, Epaphras, the guy who planted this church, was the first pastor, uh, was very likely a disciple of Paul. And at this time, Paul's writing from prison. Epaphras has some questions about some false teachings that have come uh, to threaten the church. So Epaphras travels over to Rome where Paul is to ask him about uh, these, these theological um, issues that are taking place in the church. And Paul's response is to write a letter to this church. And so that, that's what we have is this letter Paul is writing to the Colossian church to, to, to um, encourage them in their faith and, and to make clear to them that there is one gospel, and, and this gospel is the same gospel that's preached all over the world um, it, it, at all times, in all circumstances, in every culture, in every setting, in every circumstance. And that nothing needs to be added to the gospel, particularly, especially, not your good works, not your best efforts. Not, not, not all the wisdom that you bring to bear about how you think the world works, that doesn't get added to the gospel. The gospel is that Jesus Christ, the eternal Son of God, became man and dwelt among us. And, and, and in the end of his ministry, it culminates in him becoming all that, that we are, taking upon himself all that we are. He came to heal the sick. He came to the lost. He came to the sinners. And so everything we are got laid upon him, and he died the death we deserved and rose to new life. And it's believing that gospel. It's believing what Jesus did, believing that Jesus is who he said he was. It's in believing that that we are reconciled to God. That's what he came for, is to reconcile us. And so Paul says, listen, this is the gospel. This is the faith. This is the hope that you um, have been clinging to. This, this, is, this is what brought you to salvation, and you don't need to add anything to it, regardless of what anybody says. And so this morning, Paul is going to give us some clarity. He's, he, last week we looked, he, he, he gave us this beautiful, these five, six verses on the, the beauty and the majesty and the supremacy of who Jesus is. And then we're going to look at just three verses this morning. And it's Paul's way of working out for us in our, in our life that if Christ is this, so what? So what does this mean in our life? So, so that's where we are. I'm in Colossians chapter 1, and I'm going to read verse 21, 22, and 23. And I know some of you are so excited to say, whoa, three verses. We'll be in and out of here. And we might be. We, we just might be. Um, 
Look at what it says. Colossians 1, beginning verse 21. And you, it's the first time he said that he's, he's pointing at the Colossians. He's been writing, I'm Paul, and you're the Colossians, and this is, this is you know, I've been praying for you, and, and then uh, this is who the Father is, this is who the Son is. But now he says, but you and you. Let me tell you about you for a minute. And you who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds. He has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him if indeed you continue in the faith Stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. If you would, would you bow with me? Father, help us to hear these words this morning. I pray this morning that, that what you do, um, well, one, you'd have our, your way with us uh, by your Spirit. Father, I pray that for those this morning that need to be comforted, you would, you would meet them right there. You would comfort them. Father, for those this morning that need to be convicted, I, I pray that by your Spirit, you would convict. And Father, draw them back to you this morning. And Father, this morning, if there's someone here or listening online or that don't know you as the God of all grace, the, the Savior. Father, I pray you'd make that clear this morning. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, like I said last week, you might call last week the great Christology hymn, you know, the, the hymn of Christ, where, where Paul says, Jesus, this Jesus is the Lord of overall creation, and he's the Lord uh, in all recreation or, or redemption. And then this is the application of that theology. There's a past condition. There is a present reality. And then there is a future hope. That's what Paul's going to do. Look, look with me again. Back in verse 21, and you who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds. So, uh, you, you uh, th th this is who, you know, you, you're the ones that receive this, this reconciling action of Jesus. And he says you were, you were alienated. You say, well, what were you alienated from? Well, you... He doesn't tell us here, but if you went over to Ephesians, he uses that word two other times, both of them in Ephesians. The first time, he says, listen, you were alienated um, in, in chapter 2 of Ephesians. You, you, he tells the Ephesian readers, you were alienated from the commonwealth of Israel. I mean, you were alienated from the people of God. You were alienated from the covenants of God. You were, you were far away 
Well, he goes on and he uses it again in chapter 4. And he says, you're alienated from not only the people of God, you're alienated from the life of God. You, you were alienated both horizontally and vertically. Tells him in Ephesians 6, you were without hope and you were without God. You were alienated. That's how we were. Ephesians chapter 2, the very beginning of it, you were born. The way you came into this world, your natural first breath was that you were dead in your sins and trespasses. We were alienated from God. We were also, it says, we were hostile in mind, which means that, 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 our, that our understanding literally was, was darkened or, or the, uh, how, how we reason things, how we understand things, our mindset, our disposition, our way of seeing the world. We were hostile. We, we were enemies. And it's the direct contrast to what it means to be reconciled. It's what makes reconciliation necessary. Listen, you, you just didn't like get a little bit off the path of God and need to be, you know, nudged back onto the path. You, you didn't just like, you know, take a wrong turn, but that's okay. If you go down a couple of blocks, you can take a left and course correct. No, no, no. You were an enemy Fundamentally, everything you thought, the way that you saw the world, you were opposed to God. That's what he means. And then the doing evil deeds, that's the, the behavior, the evil behavior that, 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 that results. I mean, you know, our, our minds are hostile and the behavior is the result of a hostile mind. Our behavior is the result of what it means to be an enemy of God. We, we do these things because we're God's enemy. Which brings us here real quick. And let me help us because I want us to walk through it. Paul is wanting to, to help these Colossian believers cling to this gospel that they heard and they believed. And he doesn't want them to stray from it. He doesn't want them to go, you know, leave this foundation that they're now building a life on this gospel and, and move over to a different foundation that's not as secure and not as stable. He doesn't want us to leave and, and go build a life over here when we've begun here on the gospel. And, and so... When he says this, we're, we're enemies, and then what happened, because we're enemies, is that we do evil deeds. Now, what happens is, we get this backwards so often of the time. We look at our life, and we say, oh, the, well, we do evil deeds, and so our evil deeds, um, that must mean God's mad at us, and then, he, and then because he's mad at us, he's our enemy, so, Paul says, first of all, here's what you need to know. You were the one who was God's enemy. And because you were the enemy, everything you did 
was evil. As an enemy, you acted in a way that was against God. Now, what we do, because this is what we, we do, we're humans. We say, oh, well, the problem is our behavior. So, if I can just fix my behaviors, then God will say, oh, well, you're acting right then. So, if you're acting right, then you're not my enemy. And we have it all backwards. That would be us cleaning up our act so that God won't be mad at us and then we can sit at the dinner table again. And Paul's saying, no, 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 that's backwards. You were alienated. You were without God. You were without hope. You were an enemy. And if you want proof of your enemy status, everything you did as an enemy was evil. So then he says, okay, look, look at uh, the rest of, uh, uh, ver- uh, then he goes into 22. Look at 22. He says, he has now reconciled. So you once were alienated, but now he has reconciled you. You've been reconciled. You've been made, not an enemy, but now you've been made a friend. You've been reconciled. How were you reconciled? Says this. He's now reconciled. In his body of flesh, in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach. Now, if you got your Bibles open and you click back up a verse and a half, the very end of verse 20 says, making peace by the blood of his cross. Peace is made. Peace with God comes through the blood of the cross. The reconciliation, which is the same as the peace, the the being made a friend, it happens in the body of flesh in his death. This is directly related to the false teaching about Jesus. To say, wasn't merely just a spirit, just spirits as they would have understood it, couldn't die. Jesus had a, had a body, and it was a body of flesh, human mortality. The eternal God took on a body of flesh, a human mortality, the frailty of humanity that is exploited by suffering. So I... John writes in his letter in 1 John, Jesus Christ has come in the flesh. There must be death and there must be shed blood. Hebrews 9.22, without the shedding of blood, there can be no forgiveness of sin. Jesus has to have a body. It has to know the frailty of mortality. It has to be able to be bruised and bleed and die. That's why Hebrews 2 says, therefore he had to be made like his brothers in every respect so that he might become 
a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God, to make propitiation, atoning sacrifice for the sins of his people. Well, that's how reconciliation is accomplished. It's accomplished in his body of flesh. It's accomplished by making peace through the blood on the cross. And then it's for a purpose. So, you once were alienated, but now you've been reconciled, and there's a purpose for that. And the purpose is this future glory to be presented. So, you've been reconciled in the body of flesh in order to, or for the purpose of, being presented holy and blameless and above reproach before him. Now, there's a lot of chit-chat in the commentaries about exactly what, what is this? When, what is this presenting and when is this presenting and who is the him? Who's the he presenting and who's the him being presented to? And so, I give you some of the, 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 the things. So, you got Jesus presenting to the Father or Jesus presenting to himself, um, which, so which is the right answer? And you go, well, yes, is the right answer. There is the Bema seat of Christ, the, the Bema seat of God, yes. The one in which believers will stand before and there's this sense in which, okay, so is it that we are being brought and presented before? So, so this is very important. So if you'll indulge me for uh, just a minute, and then I'll try to be funny after that, all right? But here, here's how it is. So you can say, okay, well, he's being presented. So you're being presented, all right? So this is assuming you're a believer, all right? You're, you're a believer in Christ. You've been reconciled. You've staked your life on the hope of this gospel, this hope that's laid up for you in heaven. What is this hope? Well, is it the hope that Jesus will bring you in all your sorriness before the Father? And give you this pep talk just before you stand before him where he says, look, you and I both know this has been your life. Just don't say anything. Just stand there. Try to smile. Maybe he'll go easy on you. So I think that's how we think it's going to be. Jesus will bring us, because you know what? We believe the gospel, so, so now he has to, but he's, good grief, he can't wait till the next person because he's so embarrassed of our life as it, as it gets laid bare before God. That really, really that moment just proves where the disappointment that we always knew we were. Let me just say, that's not what holy and blameless and, a, and above reproach, which means 
unaccusable, no, no accusation to be made against you. It's not what those mean. You, you're not being put forth as though you're the sacrifice that needs to be inspected. Jesus was already the sacrifice, the perfect sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. 2 Corinthians 5, 21, he who became sin so that we could become the righteous. This is a legal presentation, a judicial presentation. Positionally, you are presented judicially perfect. You're perfect in every way because you are clothed in Christ. You're spiritually perfect because you are clothed in Christ. You find the parallel. If you want to see it, it's in Ephesians chapter 5. I wasn't going to read this, but I'm going to read this. The same words are used, and just listen to how it works. Now, this is a, this is a, I'm a, I'm side, I'm coming in the, in the side window on you guys here this morning, all right? But in Ephesians 5.25, listen to how this works. Husbands, love your wives. Now he tells you how. As Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Gave himself up as the blood on the cross, the death in the body of the flesh. That he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of the water with the word so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing that she might be holy and without blemish. All those words are used and the picture is not that the husband brings the wife before Jesus at the end of the day and says, well, we're finally here. You know, what do you have to say for yourself? No, no, no. It won't be what the wife has done. It will be what the husband has done. It won't be what we have done. It will be what Jesus has done. Holy, blameless, without reproach. We're declared that. You are that in Christ. Now, let, let's, let's look at this. Scriptures say that Christ in his flesh, by his death, reconciles you to God. So, so this, is, this is why the sentence is so complex. In the flesh, in the carnation, God in the flesh comes lives a uh, perfect, spotless, blameless, above reproach life. He does not sin. There's no sin in him. He comes in the flesh, lives a righteous life, 
dies on the cross, and is resurrected. And then, and then this is the gospel of God to the universe. Takes him who knew no sin, makes him sin on the cross so that we become righteous, and that's the great exchange. Christ takes your alienation and your hostile mind on himself and pays for them in full. And you get righteousness. His spotlessness, his, ab his above reproachness before God. And you, you don't get that by any act on your own. It's an act of God Almighty, and that's the good news. It's not that you clean yourself up. It's not that does my good outweigh my bad. You, your hope, my hope, is tied to the cross and the resurrection of Jesus. Now, make sure we're clear about that. Because in verse 23, there is this verse that says this, and it's a difficult verse. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. If. It introduces a condition here. And, and the condition, let's be clear, make sure we, we read this rightly. The condition is if, if you, if you, if you, continue in the faith. Maybe yours says, if you remain in the faith. Now, we make one observation here. It does not say, if you continue in your faith. It is the faith, which is another way of saying the gospel. If you continue in the gospel... If you continue in the truth of the gospel, that's why he said, it's so stable, steadfast, not shifting. These are, these are um, uh, construction terms. Speaking about a, a foundation that's stable and steadfast and, and it's not shifting. If you continue in this gospel, you abide in it. This is not your work necessarily. It's not your perfection. It's not even your progress. The Galatians were having trouble with this. This is why Paul says to the Galatians, who bewitched you? Let me ask you this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish you began in the Spirit? Are you now trying to perfect it by the flesh? This is not an appeal to you that you have to keep your salvation. In other words, salvation doesn't work like this. You haven't been handed the keys to the car called salvation, and now your job is to not wreck the car. 
That's not salvation. Paul's tone here is confidence. He goes on in in chapter 2, verse 5. He says, I'm rejoicing to see your good order and firmness of your faith. I I know you will. I'm rejoicing. I I know you're going to stay firm in the faith. Now, let me just say this. Let me say this, and then let me come back to a warning, and then then we'll go. Let's see if I can wrap all this up. Is it possible for a believer to lose his or her salvation? No. No. You The language he's using Colossae there were earthquakes. It was earthquake stricken. Paul's saying, listen, if you're saved, you're built on a solid foundation, Jesus Christ, you'll continue in the faith. In other words, we're not saved by continuing in the faith. We continue in the faith because we're saved. Now, this is true, and I'm going to say it again in just a second, but I also want you to feel the weight of the warning. Continue means to persist, to to persevere. In light of the false teachers, the the foundation you have is sure. It's an established foundation. It's, 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 It's Jesus. Don't go looking anywhere else. And so... It is either very comforting for you or it creates a good, healthy, holy fear in you. It says if you're reconciled, you're stable. The word is strength, which means that you, you which means if you find your strength in, in your wealth or your health or your environment or things that you can control that's not that's not real stability that's not real strength your strength is in him and him alone and 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 what actually is in your heart this gets revealed you're going to get sick or you're going to have dark moments or, or dark years or dark months or and it's human reality, and it's going to happen to you. And so life, when life presses on you, it's going to reveal where do you find your strength? Where is your security? What are you putting your security in? Some of you are religiously exhausted. And you left the church a long time ago, even if you still show up every week religiously exhausted because despite the fact that the gospel says Christ saves you, for some reason you think you're the one that saves you. So you're continually busy with a thousand different religious activities, all probably 
hiding sin in your life? You busy yourself with all the religious activity. You have these sins, these secret sins, you know, when you're alone by yourself, when, uh, you, you know, you, you have a way of acting or thinking that's inconsistent. And so instead of finding your security in the gospel, in Jesus, in what he's done, you've placed your security and your ability to manage your external behavior, your external Christianity. It's like playing hide-and-seek with a three-year-old. You know, where you say, go hide, and they run four feet and close their eyes. Because they close their eyes, they think you can't see them. It's exactly what that's like with God. This is what it's saying. If you continue stable, if you continue steadfast, you don't waver from the, and shift from the hope of the gospel, this hope, this firm, stable, steadfastness, hope means you're not shifting back to a workspace mentality. You're not shifting back to, I can save myself. You're not shifting back to, I don't need Jesus to save me. A lot of people say, oh, oh, I was bad. I used to have all these bad behaviors, but now I don't do that anymore. And so God and I are good. Really? Who, who paid for that? Who, who took care of all that? Who, who reckoned? How'd you reconcile? So I didn't need to be taken care of. And you just say, no, no, no. God's holy. It absolutely needs to be taken care of. Because if God's... God just lets it go. He's unjust. If he, he, he's a wicked God if he looks at sin and says, well, I don't care. He, he, he would make light of his own name, make light of his own holiness, of light of his own power. No judge in America could get away with that. Yeah, I mean, you know, you've committed crimes, but as long as you promise not to do it anymore, I mean, you can go free. That's a shift away from the gospel into some false hope. Now, let me say it again. Very clear. Salvation belongs to God. This text does not teach you can lose your salvation. No, 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 by, not by any means. Salvation belongs to God. So if God saves you, he cannot lose you. You cannot lose your salvation. The Bible is unbelievably clear about this. So here's the question. What is a believer? What, what makes you a Christian? Well, let me say, what makes you a Christian is not that you're sitting here this morning or that you're online listening to this sermon. That doesn't make you a Christian. Does it make you a Christian that you listen to a certain kind of music and not to another kind of music? Does it make you a Christian that you're better now as a person, as you estimate it, than you were 10 years ago? 
doesn't make you a Christian. You're not a believer just because you, you live in Texas. Just throw that out there. You, you're not a believer because your parents were believers. That doesn't make you a believer. You, you're not a believer because you were baptized as a kid. That, that doesn't make you a believer. A, a believer is, is one who has trusted God for, for salvation. And, 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 and what the Bible says is that when you do that, you become something new. You, you are a new creation. It is not the improvement of this old self. It's something brand new with a, with a new heart, a heart that's changed. And since it's a heart change, it's not, it's not external action change. Well, that comes. But you're completely dependent upon God to do something you cannot do. You cannot save yourself. You cannot give yourself a new heart. You can control your external behavior, but you can't change the root of who you are. Because if it's only about controlling your behavior, ultimately you're still alienated from God. You need Him. So that's what's true about you. If somehow you've mistaken Christianity as the, the controlling of external behavior and, and looking like and sounding like and, and behaving like what you think a Christian should do, and that's all that you've thought this Christianity was, I want to say to you, maybe you haven't understood what a Christian is. So I, we don't give altar calls here, and I'm not giving one today. Repeating a prayer after me, I think it sounds like an incantation. But what do you do? And if you're stirred up inside this morning, you think, man, I don't know if I've understood what Christianity is. I don't know that I've, I've done that. Well, maybe you go home and read the book of John. You, you could simply while you're sitting here, right even now, say, you know what, I, I know I, I'm not a believer. Save me. I, I know I'm a sinner. I need to be saved. Maybe God's doing a saving work in your heart today. Maybe you've been hanging out here for a while, and this is the first time, you know, you're just kind of like, oh, the pennies dropped. I'm, I see this. I understand this. This is the God of the universe we're talking about. He does desire to reconcile you. Desires to make you his friend. But if you miss that and you just leave here simply trying to get everything in order, you just put yourself back on a hamster wheel of doing more of what's not, what already isn't working. 
for the record, is probably why a lot of your relationships are all banged up. You're alienated from God and you're trying to put pressure on those relationships around you, more pressure than it's supposed to be there. You're wanting your husband to save you. You're wanting your wife to save you. You're wanting your children to save you. They can't bear that kind of weight. They don't have the tools to do that. What you need is found in Christ, in Christ alone. And that's my hope for you. Tell you a quick story. Get out of here. It's a story Jesus tells in Luke 15. It's the story of the prodigal son. And you, you know, the story, he, he tells his father, I, I want all that's mine. And, and he takes it and he goes off into a far land. And he wastes it all. And he, and he gets down as low as you can get down. That's what it, the whole thing's meant to say. In fact, it describes it. He was longing to be fed with the slop that the pigs ate, but nobody gave him anything. And he begins to reflect on this. He's, he's wasted everything. Now he's got nothing. So he comes to himself. That's the way the text says it. Kind of came to, he kind of woke up. Then he says, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread? But I'm I'm sitting here and I'm, I'm hungry. I've got nothing. So he makes his plan, okay? And his plan is, he says, okay, I'm going to get up, I'm going to go to my father, I'm going to say, Father, I've sinned against you and against heaven, and, and I, I'm, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Just, if you just treat me as a hired servant, if you just hire me, that's all I'm asking. And so he gets up and he goes to his father. Heads home. And as he's coming, Jesus, he's telling this parable that the father sees him. And, 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 and while he was still a long way off, the father sees him. And the father, he'd been looking, longing, trying to see this, you know, maybe his son's coming back today. Maybe he's the day. He's been, he's been waiting. He's been singing. So he sees him, and he, and he, and he says he gathers up his garments, uh, you know, and, and begins to run. He pulls his garments up, and he starts to run. By the way, have you ever seen an old man run? Some of you just need to go to the parking lot and watch yourself run. It's not much dignity. It's kind of awkward. Take that long flowing thing, you gird it up, go to run. He gets to the sun. The sun starts this whole spiel that he was going to say, Father, I've just sinned against heaven and before you, and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. And just before he gets, he says, just treat me as one of your hired servants. The father just smothers his confession. Just love takes over. He doesn't even get to finish his whole thing. 
And he says, quickly, quickly, bring the best robe, put it on him. Put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fatted calf and kill, him, uh, kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For this was my son. He was dead, but he's alive again. He was lost. Now he's found. And they began to celebrate. And the way the text says it, they celebrated and celebrated and celebrated and celebrated. And Jesus, who Paul has said is the image of God, paints this picture of God in this parable. The Lord God, a God who waits for you to come, hopes for you to come, longs for you to come, sees you, he runs to you, kisses you. In fact, Nehemiah in the Old Testament says, God's ready to pardon. It's the God of all grace. And he sends this message out to the world. And this is the message. Come to Christ. Believe in him. Receive reconciliation. It's provided for you. And if he's brought you to that place this morning to recognize that you're lost and dead and your trespasses and sins, then you are in exactly the right spot for the hope that God provides. Come to him. Come to him. Oh, you who are an enemy, come. Be his friend. If you would, would you bow with me? Father, I pray you'd do that in us this morning. Pray for anybody here this morning that will take an honest evaluation of their life and their heart and say, you know, I'm not a believer. But Father, you... you you're working in their heart right now and drawing them. And so, Father, I pray they'd, they'd head right to you. They'd run right into your arms of Christ this morning. And they would be overwhelmed with your love. I, I pray they wouldn't go one more minute living as an enemy. And, Father, even right this moment, they would be reconciled. Father, I pray for believers this morning. Those that moved their hope, their life away from the stable and steady and firm foundation of the hope of the gospel and found themselves chasing other things. Father, Pray this warning from Paul would have its effect to draw them back to you. Simple confession, if we confess our sins, you're faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And Father, you draw sinful, wayward, 
believers this morning to a place of confession. That, Father, they might taste your grace anew this morning. And, Father, for all of us, draw us to your Son, Christ, the hope of our salvation. We ask this the only way we can. In the name of your Son, Jesus, and by the power of your Spirit, amen. Well, if you would, would you stand with me and we'll be dismissed. So when I say the grace and the peace of Jesus go with you, it's the grace and peace of reconciliation. As friends of God, go in Christ. Amen.